At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Jump in. Have you ever, have you ever had something in life where you were so excited about it, like you were ready to jump in, only to find out like when it really happened, it wasn't all that great, like it was broken or it just, it didn't, you know what I'm talking about? Like there was this one time, hadn't been to Michigan very long, moved to Michigan and everybody had been talking about Cedar Point. You need to go to Cedar Point. If you like amusement park, raise your hand, you've been to Cedar Point. Yup, that's what I thought, because you're way closer over here than the other side. So anyway, I was so excited. And there was one particular ride I wanted to ride. The gatekeeper was brand new, but everyone said, Billy, it's the top thrill dragster. That's what you want to ride. Like, it's the most amazing ride. Raise your hand if you've done the top thrill dragster. Oh, not near as many hands went up right now. If you don't even know what I'm talking about, watch this video. This is the top thrill dragster. There it goes. Straight up. Curse around. Straight down. I don't think that was good enough. So we're going to show you the ride from a little different angle now. Here we go. Doesn't that look fun? That looks so fun. So here's the deal. We got there early. Church, we got there early. I got the fast pass because I thought if this is not something I normally get to do, I want the fast pass. I want to cut in front of everybody and go, right? I want, I want to be that guy. And so we get there early. We're in line. We get through. I got the little bracelet thing on. I'm so fired. And we're walking. I'm looking around. I'm telling everybody, like, there's like hardly anyone here. Like, I am so pumped. And I'm walking straight forward, the top thrill dragster. And as we're getting closer and closer, I'm like, oh, man, like, I don't even see a line. Like, this is awesome. We're going to be able to get straight on. Get, and I'm like, oh, oh, there's, there's not a line because it's closed because the day before lightning had hit the top thrill dragster, the electronics were goofy and they're like, you don't want on it right now. And um, I think the thing is, it's very easy to look at the amusement park and to see like, I know what it's supposed to be and I know what broken looks like. I think sometimes to look in the mirror at our own lives, that's more difficult I think sometimes it's harder to say, I know what it's supposed to be like, and this is broken. I think we're not always honest with ourselves when we examine our own hearts. Easy with the amusement park. It's much harder with our hearts. Let's take our Bibles and open up to the book. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. This is it. This is the last week, the final week of our sermon series called Smoke and Mirrors. We've been studying through 
the words of the guy who calls himself the preacher. All through the book, he calls himself the preacher. Of course, we think this is King Solomon. Because right in chapter 1, he says, I am King David's son. I am the king of Israel. And then we hear all about all of his wives and all the land that he's conquered and his treasury. And so most theologians are like, okay, clearly, this is King Solomon. King Solomon, think about this. When it came to chasing what he wanted in life, he had no restrictions He could do whatever he wanted. He had all the money. He had all the power. He had all the fame. And so he tried to find fulfillment in leaving his mark on the world. And he said, yeah, that's like chasing after the wind. He chased after finding joy and power and knowledge. I just want to know more than everybody else. That's where I want to find my satisfaction. He said, that that seems meaningless. Like, that's not it. He chased hedonism. Like, I want to chase whatever makes me feel good. If I can buy it, if I can take it with power, if I can conquer, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever I think will make me feel good. In the end, he kept saying it's not enough. It's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind, which is going to bring us to this final question in this sermon series. The last question that we're going to ask in this series, is there any meaning to this life. Seriously, is there any meaning? Because if, if Solomon in all his splendor, with all his riches, with all his power, with all his influence, if he couldn't find meaning through 11 chapters, is there any meaning to this life? The answer is, yeah, there, there is. Let's look, chapter 12, starting in verse 1. He says this, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to all earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. So a few times there, you notice that he used that phrase before, and we'll come back to before. But before he started all that, we see verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. He says, remember also the creator in the days of your youth. Remember also, which means I've already told you something else that you're supposed to remember. This is so important. You've heard me say this so many times. But before you put that verse up on the wall of your home, before, before you get tattooed or something like that, you should read what's before that verse and you should read what's after that verse. That is so important, right? You need to know the full context. So the full context of this, I want you to go back to chapter 11. In chapter 11, verse 7, I want you to put a little parenthesis in your Bible or a little bracket even. And then go forward to chapter 12, verse 7 and put another bracket. You see what we're dealing with in chapter 12 is two distinct thoughts. 
just two distinct thoughts. Chapter 11, verse 7 to chapter 12, verse 7. That's one thought. And that's the thought of we are talking about the here and the now. We're talking about the present, what you can see right now, what you can taste, what you can touch. We're talking about here and now, the present. And then the rest of chapter 12 is talking about the eternity to come. We're talking about the future. And so he starts out this transition statement, remember also, because I've just been talking in chapter 11 about this, remember also your creator. And then verse 7 and 8 works as a transition statement for the rest of it that says, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity pointing to the future that's to come. So we have here what could be viewed as a kind of a pessimistic viewpoint, right? A, a little bit. He's done that psalmist weird to me somewhat that he does have kind of a pessimistic view of life. I'm not like that. Like I'm naturally the optimist. I naturally look at the positive. So many of you, you're like that. You're just naturally the optimist. And even for the optimist, isn't it true that you know the feeling? You know the feeling that something is coming, right? That ominous feeling. You feel that right here in verse 7 and 8. It's ominous. You feel the weight of it, right? It's like, man, something's it's good now, but something bad is getting ready. It's, it's Friday. Imagine it's Friday, and you get an email that says, hey, just so you know, the boss wants to talk to you first thing Monday morning. <laughs> What's the boss want to talk to me about? And the, the boss just wants to talk to you. So you fire off an email to that admin and you're like, I need to know. What's the agenda? Like, what are we talking about? I don't know. I just know the boss wants to talk to you first thing Monday morning. And so let, you know, this Friday. So let's say Friday night, you're supposed to have some people from your life group come over and you're going to have dinner and it's going to be this great joyous occasion. But this all of a sudden has sucked all the joy right out of you, hasn't it? Because you're expecting all, even though you're with friends, you're with people you love, you're in this great place, you're having food, you're having feast, you know something is coming. The here and now is here, but I'm having trouble with the here and now because I'm, I'm viewing this future thing that's going to come, and it might be bad. It might be really bad. Or at school, let's say it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and they come over, I don't even, do they have intercoms still? Is that a thing? Or do they? Okay. So they come over to the intercom and they say your name and they say that they want you at the principal's office at 2.30. But I didn't do anything bad. What, why does the principal want to see? Which is where my mind goes. Maybe a bunch of good kids in here and you're like, I wouldn't have thought that way. No, but I would have. I would have thought I got caught. I don't even know what I did, but I got caught. Or when I was little, this will surprise some of you, I was bad. I was bad as a kid. And uh, when I would do bad things, my mama would look at me and she'd say, you know what? I've talked to your dad on the phone. He'll talk to you when he gets home. What's dad going to do? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, I knew what dad was going to do. That's probably why I was so freaked out, right? All of us know that feeling of we're in the here and now, but there's this future that's still waiting. That's what Solomon is talking about here with these two major thoughts. And when he says, remember also the days of your youth, what he is saying is, is when you're a young person, don't you dare forget who you are and why you were created. Remember also your creator. Do you see that? 
This is about him. This is about his name. This is about his renown. This is about his glory. It's not about you. For 11 chapters, chapter after chapter, week after week, we talked about it. All Solomon said is, is I did this and I did that and this was about me. And now all of a sudden in chapter 12, what he was saying is, don't forget your creator. Whatever you do, don't forget your creator because it's in that place that you're going to find satisfaction. It's in that place that you're going to find your peace. It's in that place that you're going to find your hope. It's when you remember your creator, that you belong to him. See, that's, that's that place where all of a sudden life has meaning. It's such a beautiful place to be when you remember your creator and you're worshiping and adoring him. The problem is, church, we've sinned, haven't we? Every single one of us, the Bible says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin causes a separation between us and a holy and awesome God. It creates this void between us and him. That's that place where all of a sudden life seems so meaningless again. And where there seems to be this ominous feeling of dread of what's to come, this uneasiness, because we intentionally, we're separating ourselves from God. Now, it reminds me a lot of some stuff the kids do every single week with the gospel icons. If you didn't know this, every week the kids downstairs, they're not just sitting around eating, eating Oreo cookies and singing songs, drinking punch. Like there's some incredible teaching that's taking place. One of the things they do is they go through the gospel icons to tell the story of the gospel. And so to give you a snapshot of what that looks like, I've asked Audrey to come back up this morning just to share those gospel icons with you. And so will you help me in welcoming Miss Audrey to the stage this morning? Oh, you're right there in front of me. Yes, I'm right in front. Good morning. So I need my helpers. If Miss Tracy or I talked to you before the service, my little helpers come right up this center row, okay, and come and stand for us. We're so excited to share with you. So Yes, Pastor said this is going to be a little snapshot of what happens on Sunday mornings. So on Sunday mornings, your kids get to see these pictures, and this, these represent the parts of the gospel story. And so it might be someone's very first time hearing the gospel story, which is amazing. But it's also your kids maybe 200th, maybe 250th time hearing this story. And that's awesome because that is building some spiritual muscle. Because our hope would be is that even though these pictures are really simple, we hope that that spiritual muscle can be um, used one day when they have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone else. That they won't have um, a fear, that they would not be afraid to share the gospel. So are you guys excited to show the parents what we do on Sunday? So I know I've got some of my helpers up here, but there's a lot of other helpers out there, so I need your help, okay? So first, I'm going to ask, what is your name, sir? Marty. Marty. What a cool name. You have cool parents, dude. Um, <laughs> Marty, I'm going to ask you to hold this sign up real big and tall, because this is our very first picture icon for the gospel story. And all of my friends out there, if you know what this means and what this stands for, I want you to shout it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Good job. God rules, right? So we have a crown here. This crown represents God who rules, right? And God gets to rule because you know what? He created everything, right? He created everything on the earth, every living thing. And he, in it, he created a garden. And he put the very first man and the very first woman into the garden. 
And that was Adam and Eve. And he spent time with them and he loved them and he wanted to be near them, but he gave them a choice. He gave them a choice to obey him. Adam and Eve chose not to obey him. And that brings us to our second icon. And what is your name? Annabelle. Annabelle, what a beautiful name. You've got awesome parents. All right, Annabelle, can you hold up that sign big and tall for me? All right, friends, let's hear it. One, two, three. We sinned. So Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and because of that, sin entered the world. And that means all of us now are born with sin. Everyone sins. Not just kids. Mom and dad sin. Grandparents sin. Aunts and uncles sin. Teachers sin. Leaders sin. We all sin. And it might be something big. It might be something little, like maybe not obeying your mom and dad and eating your green beans like they say too, right? But... Sin separates us from God, and God, he does not want to be separated from us. He loves us so much, so he had a plan. So we're going to put this down. And what is your name, sir? J.D. J.D., you've got some really cool parents. <laughs> All right, let's hold your sign up real tall. So what does this icon stand for, kiddos? Ready? One, two, three. Oh, come on. God provided. So because of our sin, God had a plan. He provided his son to die on the cross. That's why our icon is a cross. Okay? And he knew that we could not be near him with, we could not be near the good king because of our sin. And so he provided his son who was perfect. And he died for us. He gave his one and only son to die for us. And, and make a way for us to be near God again. So let's go to our next icon. You can put this down. Thank you. All right. And what is your name, friend? Audrey. What a cool name. You've got really great parents. Can you hold this really nice and high for me? Awesome. All right, kids. Let's see if you remember this one. One, two, three. Jesus gives. Yes. What a great idea. What's, what is this a picture of, you guys? A present, right? A present. And so all of my kids out there and parents, you were kids once yourself. I want you all to think of your very favorite present that you ever had. Think about it. And on the count of three, I want you to shout it out to me. Ready? One, two, three. Those are some really, really great ideas, right? We all love to have gifts. And Jesus gave us the best gift of all. When he died on the cross, when he died on the cross to save us from our sins so we could be near the king, he gave us forgiveness of our sins, and he gave us the gift of grace, which we do not deserve, not at all. A gift of grace is a gift that you don't deserve. And kids, we sometimes get gifts we don't deserve from our parents, right? So as parents, we know how to give good gifts to our kids, right, even though they don't deserve them, and that's how God is. He gave us his one and only son that we did not deserve, that in our sin, he died for us while we were still sinners. So let's move on to our next icon. And put that down. And what is your name? Mason. Mason, you've got some really cool parents. Mason, can you hold that up for me? Big and high. All right, friends, do we remember what this one stands for? One, two, three. Yes, we respond, right? So when we have a gift, right, kids, think about this, parents. When you have a gift and you've given it to your kids, does it just sit there collecting dust? No, what happens? What do we do with the present when we get it? Before we play with it, what do we have to do? It's sitting there all pretty. We got to open it, right? Like a kid on Christmas morning, you rip it all open to shreds. You might even have to get the vacuum out, right, parents? Right? 
And so that's what this stands for. We respond. We respond in our hearts, and we love and accept the gift that Jesus has given us because he died on the cross for us. It wasn't, it wasn't nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love for us that kept him on the cross because he knew that we couldn't be near him because of our sin. And so we have our very last gospel icon. What is your name, sir? Landon. Landon, you've got some really cool parents. Can you hold your sign up big and tall for me? Awesome. So are we ready? This is the last one. This one might be a little tricky, but let's see if you guys remember it. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, so I heard you guys yell baptism, which is really awesome because that's what this stands for. But the words are actually we obey, okay? We obey. So there was disobedience, right, that Adam and Eve had, right? And because of their disobedience, sin entered the world. But after we've received the gift of Jesus and after we've responded, we respond in obeying him. And his very first commandment of us was, go ye therefore and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And baptism is the first step of obedience after you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And baptism represents before, when you're in the water, standing, you are standing, you're, you're dead. You're, you, still have the, you still have sin in your life, right? But when you go under the water, that represents Jesus dying on the cross for you. And when you are raised out of that, what does everyone do? When, they ra- when you come out of the water, what's everyone do? of what you were doing in obedience of what you believe in your heart. So that is our gospel story. So one day I hope you guys won't be afraid to get up on stage and share it with people or maybe just share it with a friend. Sound good? So if any of these, if if this has stirred anything in your heart or if you have any questions about the gospel icons or baptism, your next step of obedience, Tracy and I will be out in the lobby and also if, it, if God has been working in your heart to maybe serve on our team in kids' ministry, we would love to talk to you about what that looks like. So let's have a round of applause for all of our friends. Thank you. Thank you. You know what is fantastic is you can clearly see as the story is being shared how the kids are so used to hearing this on a regular basis. They jump straight at the end to, from response to baptism. We know what this conversation is. We've had this conversation so many times. Miss Tracy, Miss Audrey, uh, all of those of you who work with our kids, thank you so much for your faithfulness, parents. Thank you for those conversations you continue to have throughout the week with your family to continue to know and love the Lord, which brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that God is life. He is life, and it is through our faith in Jesus that we find life. And the beautiful part of what King Solomon is teaching here is it is life for the here and now. It is to find life now, and it is also for life eternal. It is life forevermore. That is the life we find in Christ Jesus. That's everything that Solomon has been driving at. When you're trying to find satisfaction in yourself, When you're trying to find life in yourself, when you're trying to find your hope in yourself, it's always going to come back meaningless. It's only when you remember your creator. Which then brings us to the last point that he's going to have, which is that God brings everything under his judgment. Hey, kids, don't forget that as you're filling out your sermon notes right at the end, if you fill out all your notes like you're supposed to, right in the hallway, there's some snack. Like they got a treat. It's a delicious treat, right? It's going to be so good. Like the Rice Krispie things. Yeah. Don't tell them, well, I just got shushed. 
forget that I said anything. That's not in your sermon notes. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 and following. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or or evil. And so as Ecclesiastes ends, you have Solomon searching through, saying, I'm spending countless hours studying and, and working on gaining this knowledge through life experience and through my study. I finally have this wisdom. And this wisdom, he says, all comes down to this one point. In fact, we've been in this series five or six weeks or something like that. We could have saved a lot of time if we said, here's, here's the one thing you need to know about Ecclesiastes. Fear God and obey his commandments. It all comes down to that. Fear God and obey his commandments. The whole entirety of Ecclesiastes can be summed up that way. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, fear God. Fear God isn't like sitting in the corner shaking, scared because of an abusive relationship. It's not that kind of a fear. It's the kind of fear that says, I see you as creator. You spoke and everything came into existence. That puts into perspective of who I am. So there is an awe. There is a reverence. There is a healthy fear of who you are as almighty God. Because now I understand who I am as the created. I understand that relationship so much more. So he says you should fear God and obey his commands. Solomon says because of that, there's two kind of justifications to this whole thing. He says, one, for it's the whole duty of man. That's why you're created. This is, this is the very purpose that you're here, and God will keep and bring every deed into judgment. You see, it's the back-to-school season. And it's back-to-school season, so many of you are excited because you've got goals. Maybe you have artistic goals. I'm gonna, I was talking to some people earlier this morning, yeah, I'm going to learn how to play a red bass. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play in the middle school band one day. That's what I heard. You know, we have these goals. We have goals, that, uh, athletic goals. We want to win state. We don't want to just go to the semifinals this year. We want to win it all. You know, we want to win everything. You have academic goals. You know, I want to get my fifth PhD. That's what I want to do this year. I, I want all the degrees. I want them all. Some of you have work goals. You're like, no, I want to open five new locations this year. That's my goal. Some of you have family goals. We're going to do this as a family. You have fitness goals, right? I'm going to, I'm going to run that marathon. I'm going to do the Ironman. I'm going to do this stuff, right? So you, you have fitness goals. We have all these goals. I'm just going to tell you, all those goals are great. And I know I've mentioned this. I hope that you reach all those goals. I don't want you to fail. I want you to succeed. I want you to thrive. I want you to, but here's the problem. The problem is when any single one of those things starts to take precedence above the Lord. When all of a sudden your academics, when all of a sudden your athletics, when all of a sudden your art, when all of a sudden your business, when all of a sudden your family starts to take precedence above the Lord, that's called idolatry. That's an idol in your life. And going into this back to school season, let me tell you, this is the perfect time to smash every single idol in your life, to put it in its right place under the Lord. 
As long as you understand it is all for his renown, it is all for his glory. That's why we were created. You see, in the end, Solomon says all that stuff that you're trying to achieve, that stuff's not eternal anyway. That's so short-lived. Reminds me of when I was a little boy. When I was a little boy, I had uh, just a few things. You know, we didn't have a lot of money and stuff, and dad was in the military, so we, we moved a lot. We moved but I remember the things that I had that really meant something to me, like this piggy bank. I had a glass pig piggy bank. It was filled with pennies. I don't know where it went, but it wasn't worth anything, right? Because it was filled with like 20 pennies because that's all it would hold. But I had my piggy bank and I had this, uh, this toy, NASA. It was a NASA toy set. It was like a, but it wasn't plastic. It was like steel, you know, it was tough. So I had like a semi truck and a trailer and like a space. Maybe you had one too, like maybe not. Okay, whatever. So... I had this toy, but I love this toy. My football was probably my most used possession. Like, even if I didn't know anyone because I just moved in to play, I'm going to play myself out. I'll throw myself the ball. Like, it didn't matter. You know, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to play ball, like, constantly. Um, I remember my decor. I had these, these Confederate money, these Confederate bills that I would just thumbtack to the wall. And I remember one day, I asked my dad, I'm like, Dad, is that worth a lot of money right there, that Confederate money? My dad kind of laughed at me. He's like, son, that paper it's printed on is worth a lot more than those bills. Like, no, that's, that's not worth anything. And Randy Alcorn actually wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. And he talked about Confederate money, which is funny because I, I literally had Confederate money on my wall growing up. And um, Randy Alcorn says, you know, during the Civil War, when our nation was split into two Confederates, they, they had their own monetary system. He goes, here's what's interesting. is getting close to the end of the war. People had a choice. What do I do? Do I take this thing that I know isn't going to last forever and do I invest it into something that's going to be longer lasting? Do I invest this money in, in land? You know, do I invest this money in non-perishable goods? Do, or do I hold on to it and think it's going to be worth something tomorrow? Which tomorrow came and it wasn't worth anything, right? If this says anything, I have no idea where that money went. I'm sure mama threw it away at some point, right? Or since scrap, I don't know where it went, but it's gone. Like it doesn't matter because it literally became worthless overnight, in the end, church, we have our time, we have our talent, we have our treasure. We don't have it forever. We have our time, we have our talents, we have our treasures. Your possessions, they'll come and go. You'll have that house and then you won't have that house. You'll have that car, you won't have that car. You'll have that NASA toy set and then you're not going to have that NASA toy set. You're going to have that thing just for a little while. Your family your family's there, and, and then they're not, and that's a hard reality. In fact, online, I got a message when I was sent over to the side. My son Gabe is in Texas now, and he's sending me a message going, man, the kids did an incredible job with worship this morning. That was so cool. And he's like, Dad, I'm getting ready to go to church, but I wanted to get me some Woodside in before I went, which is so cool. So, hi, Gabe. Good to see you, buddy. And, um, you know, they're, they're here for a little bit, guys. They're here for a little bit, and then they're not. What do you do with the time while you have it? What is your goal? Is it to build the story of I, like Solomon did for 11 chapters? Or is it to build his story? Is it to focus on his kingdom? So we're going to end this morning a little differently. We do this once or twice a year, and I think it's very appropriate this morning. This back-to-school time is a challenging time for so many. It is that remembrance of to take your time, your talent, your treasure and focus it on the Lord is not easy. And so I'm going to want us to spend some time praying as a church family for each other for this back to school time. Because we have some students. 
When I say we have some students, I mean we have some preschoolers all the way through middle school, all the way through high school, all the way to college, all the way to people working on doctorates, right? We have some students in here. We know that we have some, some teachers, some professors. We know we have bus drivers, cafeteria workers, administrators. We know that you're here. We have parents, people who every single day are right there. It's not just the people at the school who's doing the work. You're right there with them, aren't you, parents? We have grandparents. So many of you, you're right there saying, just let me know what you need because I want to support as well as a grandparent. I'm right there with you in this. We have aunts, we have uncles, we have a church family. And so what we're going to do is in just a second, we're all going to stand. I want you just to kind of get into groups and pray over one another. So I just mentioned some groups and we're going to do that at this time. If you're a student, I want you to stand. You're in preschool, elementary school, high school, middle school. Kids, just stand. I want everyone to look around you and notice. Because in a second, we're going to pray for one another. And I want you to know what group everyone falls into. So here's our students standing all over the room. If you're a teacher, a coach, an administrator, a bus driver, cafeteria worker, a professor, if you are any of those roles within the school systems, will you go ahead and stand for me? Take a look around. Notice the people who are sitting right next to you. If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, will you stand? Go ahead and stay standing, guys. And if you are part of church family, who's going to say, you're not going to stand alone, I'm standing with you, church family, I want everyone to stand. Let's take the next four or five minutes. And we're just going to pray out loud. I want you to turn. You don't have to stand looking at me. We're going to turn and we're going to face each other. We're going to just spend some time praying over one another. You see the kids around you. You see the teachers. You see the parents. You see the grandparents. Let's just spend some time praying out loud over one another that we don't forget the importance of taking time, talent, and treasure and focusing it all to the glory of God. In just a few minutes as you're praying, Kip will start to sing our final song and we'll all join and worship together. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today. 